why does it sound Chinese? Was it called that? Clove and Jovitz? Bahamas? The Social Psycho Confabulation with Ben and Mr. A. I thought I was going to have a stroke during all that, which apparently may change the way you talk and the languages that you speak. According to this news story, uh, a woman recently had a stroke and woke up speaking a Chinese accent. An English woman. An English woman, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I thought this was very weird. And you can go look at the clip. It's very interesting to hear her talk. Um, and so apparently there's something called foreign accent syndrome, where after you have a stroke, which a stroke, I believe, is where blood flow to part of your brain gets stopped. Um, and after that happens, you can have foreign accent syndrome, where you sound like you're speaking in another accent than the one you used to sound like you spoke in. And so it's a little less exciting than, you know, maybe it sounds. But apparently people say that what's happening is that you're losing fine motor control in speech production. Um, and because of this, it changes the way it sounds when you're speaking. And it just happens to sound like another accent. But it's not, it's not really like a, a true, you know, Chinese accent or whatever it would be. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm something about this I'm not buying. I have to admit, there's something. Oh, good. Because, yeah. because it doesn't. You don't buy the story, or you don't buy the explanation. I don't know if I buy the story or not, but I don't know. But I, if so, I guess we'll say if the story's true, like if that does happen, like if she's not faking it, basically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then. Well, I could just ask, why does it sound Chinese? Well, so I think I think it is real, number one. Like, I don't think she's faking it because she's not the only person. Like, this is a well-documented thing. I looked it up. Like, there's actually quite a few people who have had this happen to them. And it's not always a Chinese accent. Which um, is the, that's the confusing, like, why is it not always Chinese? If it's just, so, like, you lose certain motor skills verbally why wouldn't it just sound like a dumb english person instead of sounding like an intelligent chinese person <laughs> like the, you know what i mean well yeah i think it sounds like it sounds like the broken a broken version of her native tongue so no it doesn't because she's british that's what I'm saying. It seems like it should sound like a, a a broken version of her native tongue, but instead it sounds like a broken Chinese accent. Well, but that's what I'm saying. It sounds like a Chinese person who's speaking like British English. So it's not a proper version of right. British accent. So, yeah, because that was the first thing I was going to ask you. That's is, what I was saying. Yeah. Is the accent accurate? Because I can do some accents too. But, like, a lot of people, when you do, like, a Brit, you, sh you think you're doing an Irish accent, a lot of people do a Scottish accent, and an Irish person will be like, you're not talking like an Irish person, you're talking like a Scottish person. 
and there is a difference and they're a little to an English person they're subtle but to an Irish or you know what I mean like so a Chinese person would probably would, would they be like what are you doing you're doing like some fake Chinese like it's not right it's not actually yeah. accurate and that's the perplexing part to me is like why wouldn't it be why does it sound like anything well I just think yeah it sounds like a broken version of the regular native tongue and then your brain like you associate that with foreign speakers or people who learned it as a second language because they don't speak the language exactly correctly so do you know um, are there it, other cases yeah. that sound different <clears throat> like does anyone have a stroke and then get like a french accent because that's very a very particular accent that has particular sounds in it so like the chinese accent that she has i can kind of understand because it's some of the things are like so she's missing certain linguistic uh, capabilities. So like it's Chinese people don't use the R sound. So the R's will sound like a W. Now you could have an, a, you could be a, an American or an English speaking person, have a speech impediment and have a problem with R's. Like my other, my little brother had a problem with that on my dad's side and he had to go to speech therapy and he would, all his R's would be W's mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So like really it would be willy, you know, mm-hmm. orange juice was like very strange. He would always say ocean juice because he couldn't get that R out. Mm. And so the Chinese accent, I think maybe they have less sounds. So it's like, okay, you start losing sounds and it might start sounding Chinese. But does anyone wake up one day and like, for example, the U sound in French and English is, you know, tooth, you know, or maybe... Whereas, if the, the French would Chinese, be like, oh, oh, go ahead. The Maybe the Chinese language just doesn't have the R sound. That's what I was saying. It could be that they have less sounds, but it could just be that they don't have specific sounds in the other language or whatever, or the native Like, language, are people perhaps. gaining, that's what I'm saying, like, are, are there other accents? So, like, if someone woke up with a French mm-hmm. accent, then in that case, the French actually, yes. you would gain linguistic properties rather than losing them. So, like, there's multiple ooh sounds in French. Like, ooh. Uh, e, like all that like so if you woke up one day and had all those extra sounds i'd be like you're not losing motor skills you've actually gained motor skills and you're just applying them randomly and now you're giving yourself a french accent you know yeah it seems, I, if that so, happens then i that would create some skeptical i don't know if you gain motor function but you can have different accents so foreign accent syndrome it says those with the syndrome sound as though they speak their native languages with a foreign accent. For example, an American native speaker of American English might sound as though they spoke with a Southeastern British accent, or a native English speaker from Britain might speak with a New York accent. So it was saying that various uh, parts of the brain control various linguistic functions, and so it really depends on what part of the brain has been damaged or affected by the stroke or the brain injury. Um, and it says, usually it's not a persisting disorder. Uh, vowels are more likely to be affected than consonants. And vowel errors include an increase in vowel tensing uh, and vowel fronting and raising. Mm-hmm. Those are linguistic terms. I took a lot of linguistic mm-hmm. courses. Like, language is actually pretty, it's like, was I considered changing my one of my degrees to linguistics because it's just so freaking fascinating it is like one of the most fascinating subjects to me and i think the reason why it's so interesting is because it's so 
language is one of those things where you actually can get it. You can do it without any information, without any knowledge. So like we know you could you could find someone very easily who speaks perfectly fine English for the most part, for perfectly intelligible English. And if you ask them to explain any rules of English grammar or anything, they wouldn't they couldn't tell you because they don't know. You know, you mm -hmm. just acquire it naturally. So I feel like that's why it's so interesting to learn about it, because you are discovering things that are like hidden from you that you actually do. Kind of like why psychology is kind of interesting to some people. You know, it's like, oh, this is a behavior. And here's like a reason we've found that this actually occurs. Language is a lot like that. And it's such a broad scope. Like the yeah. brain stuff is really weird with language and they don't know much about it. It's so difficult to study language. I took a course called Language, Mind, and Brain with mm -hmm. this Professor Hale, ding, I think. Ding, ding. <laughs> yes. And it actually was a philosophy and a linguistics credit for me. Um, and the professor was like super high level. Like it was his first semester there and everyone in the department was like, can you believe we got Professor John Hale? Oh my God, I hope he stays. It's unbelievable. I cannot believe this is happening. Like people were like, professors were like fangirling and fanboying over mm, this guy. Like, like he's a popular academic or something famous. He was big in like language models and stuff like that. And I mean- Dude, that guy, like, ripped my brain open. Like, every, that was a tiny class. Literally. I they don't know how. They cut you open. They started they poking your brain in the class. They, did. <laughs> they were like, we're going to show you what a, who they hit you. And they're like, this is what a stroke does. Oh now, it, and you spoke with Chinese accent. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's fun because it's like a, you can do that kind of stuff, you know, in the class. Like, we'd talk about accents and stuff, why, why accents occur, what, you know, what causes that, why it's so difficult to, like, learn something at certain points in your life. We had a German student. Dude, German? Crazy language. Like, apparently, you could just say German sentences in, like, different orders. Like, just rearrange the words. And because of how they, like, conjugate stuff you can still understand it perfectly fine so he would like say like three or four different sentences that all meant the same thing to her but it would be like us just taking a sentence like the ball the kid threw the ball and you could be like the ball through the kid but in german it still it means the kid through oh. the ball you know what i mean she, so he that's would be like hey, can you say that in germany that's right right and she was like yeah you could say that and he'd be like but would you and he, she was like well you wouldn't really but you could like You'd hear, you could hear it, like someone would say it, but they really wouldn't, you know, it's just like, what? It's so, like, it's just concepts mm, within some languages that you just could barely even, like, fathom, because it's just so different and so weird. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's definitely that going on. I took a little bit of Spanish, and, like, for instance, we only have, like, three tenses in uh, English, but, like, I think in Spanish they have six tenses or whatever for verbs. Oh, well, um, we do that ing thing. Or we, we also say do walking, that, which is a little and, weird. Yeah, and they have that tense in in like romantic languages. So like I did French, and you can say a version of that. It's called a gerund phrase, right? Right. And like you can do it, but you really wouldn't very often. It's almost kind of unheard of, like in common everyday conversation. So like I have a French friend, and I, I'm all I always get stuck on like do. I'm like, so how would you? Yeah, because we can literally say, yeah, I do do that. And I'm like, what is that first do doing in the sentence? Like, what is that really? Like, okay. think about it. Like, what I do 
do that. It's like you're a, it's like just a, it's like, a, it doesn't actually have a meaning. It's like yeah. an affirming, like, I'm going to say I do, and I want to say another do so that you know that there's a do that I could do that I do do. You know, it's like, how does that make sense in English? It doesn't <laughs> make sense. hour. <laughs> so you start saying that oh, to God. like a French person and they're, she's like, I don't even know if I know what you're saying. I'm like, you know how you can do do something. She's like, no, I don't think you can do do. She suddenly says, you're talking to me in broken English. Can yeah, you please she, <laughs> speak Literally, properly. she's like, you're confusing me now and I'm a language expert. And I'm like, I know. Eh, sorry. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, my God. Well, so there's this other thing I wanted to talk about. So there's the foreign language syndrome, which is where you speak in a different accent. But there's also. That's foreign accent syndrome. Sorry. Yes. Hold on. Ben has a Tourette's. He has to flip his mic down and smack it on the desk every so often for some reason. We're not really sure why. I don't know why my mic just starts acting up all of a sudden. Anyway. I mean, it's only like 14 years old. I don't know what the problem is. (laughs) Only 14 years old. Come on. Um, It's just a teenager. Uh, So there's the foreign accent syndrome, uh, FAS, which is where you just speak uh, in a manner that sounds like you're speaking from another place or whatever. I like how they called it something that almost sounds like broken English. Fast. <laughs> I yes, speak fast. Exactly. <laughs> I speak fast. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a different one, though, called bilingual aphasias, which are kind of similar, uh, but more interesting to me. So this is where you have like a head injury or a stroke and or typically people talk about coming out of a coma um, and they speak a different language. So you may, there was this kid actually from Atlanta uh, who spoke English and he woke up from this coma speaking Spanish. And I looked into it because that sounds really crazy. You're like, how could that even be possible? Um, And generally what's going on, I think is that, the people do they the know the language, language first? Before yeah, so they that's have the thing. Dysophagia? Okay, I think Thank the people <laughs> always have exposure to the language on some level. Now they may wake up speaking it better than they've ever spoken it before, which tends to be the case. Which totally so makes sense is, to me. That totally oh, makes sense to me. I think that's peculiar. So why does it make sense to you? Well, because because I so I was in a school where they taught French. From mm-hmm. a very young age, I don't know why. I, at one point, that was going to be like one of the international languages, but then like there's a, so many Mexicans here, which is fine. It's just a fact. There's and no French people, so we're like maybe we should learn Spanish, you know. So I didn't really learn. I remember not learning anything. Like when I think back to those days, I'm like, I don't. All I learned was like what I remembered was songs, basically. So like the songs of numbers, the alphabet colors and some stuff like that so that's interesting we'll come back to that okay and so there were some songs we learned that i could sing but i had no idea what they were saying literally like there was one about uh frosty the snowman there was a big bad wolf like little red riding hood thing we would learn and i knew the song but i had no idea what i was saying but i would just make the sounds (laughs) i knew that in english yes exactly (laughs) so exactly so later i so i had to take my French when I went to college they were they were like you didn't do enough French or something and I was like well does any of it count they're like zero counts so you have to start all the way over from the square one wow, but and they were sucks. like it was really weird because then they were like if you've ever taken any French though you have to take this advanced one 
And I was like, I don't think you understand how little French I know. Because they, in college, if you've ever been to college speaking foreign language, there's no English spoken. (laughs) They don't speak any English to you. Like, you just walk in to a different country and you get scolded for English. I think I was able to get into the remedial class. So I ended up taking like four or five semesters of French. So I'm not fluent, but I learned a lot of freaking French. And there's so these songs, though. But well, so my point is, there's these. There were days where like I was better than other days. You know what I mean? Like I would just felt mm. like I lo- like my brain was tired. I just lost it. There's also times where like I think about it more, and then I get better at it. There's also times where I dream, and sometimes my dream is like I'm speaking a ton of French, and I think it's real French, but it's I don't know if I actually have access to it when I'm awake in that at that level you know oh so interesting and it could be i could be wrong like i could be making stuff up but i think it's really i think a lot of times it really is real i've had i had one recently and i woke up and i remembered the dream i remember what i was talking about i was like wow and in the dream i was like wow i'm really speaking this very quickly and coherently and i was understanding a lot i was communicating with people and then i woke up and i was like i can't do that like i can't do that so, yeah, so the one something... theory, yeah, yeah, I heard about this was that, so someone kind of did postulate what you were saying. They were saying that the reason why you may speak it better is because the the brain areas or whatever associated with the uh, native language have been affected. And now there's, they were saying you may be in like a lower cognitive capable state or something, or like your cognitive resources are less and so they, your brain is maybe trying to maximize uh, its efficiency in terms of energy usage and whatnot. It could be and like so the opposite only... of that too. Like the less you're thinking, well, then that's the more what they were saying. Out. Yeah, okay. yeah, they were saying you only have a little energy, and so instead of trying to expend any energy on inhibiting the native language when you're speaking the foreign language, they were like, maybe you just speak the foreign language, like you're you're not expending anything inhibiting the native language or something or maybe the native language doesn't need to be inhibited because it's been impaired um but they i thought that was an interesting theory that actually when you're trying to speak the foreign language you actually have to expend some cognitive energy to inhibit speaking your native language well and if you're thinking a lot so like when we speak english we don't think at all it's actually unbelievable how quickly we can speak and how quickly we can understand Mm. and there's it's probably unlikely that you're processing much of what you're doing, even writing. You know, like you can jumble up most of the letters in a word and still read it. You can actually put symbols inside of words while you're reading and still read it totally right. fine. Because I think, yeah, if you just have the right like architecture, like the height of the letters and the beginning and end, you can change up the middle or whatever. Which means your brain is is like a it's like compressing and sh- making shortcuts of some kind right, right. when you're talking. Heuristics. Yeah, and you don't know the heuristics, but your brain figures them out. And I know that because I trained Jacques, for example, my dog with a French name, with French commands as and English commands. And the stuff that I tell him in French over and over and over again comes out super fluidly and very quickly. And I don't even have to think about it. In fact, sometimes I accidentally say things, those particular things mm. in French, because we have another dog that doesn't. It's just an old dog that doesn't know anything. And I'll talk to it. And every now and then, like, I'll just say something in French to the dog. I'm like, why did I do that? Because I only really did it for Jacques. Just, you know, people train their dog in a different language just so you have control or whatever. 
Yeah. And I just thought it'd be fun. So like when I tell him to like come to the house, it's like it's so fluid. Like Yeah. It's kinda like, Hey, how you doing? Or like how people say bye, you know, like, okay, see you later. Yeah, see you bye, 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 bye. You know, how many you know, you just go through that little <laughs> kind of automatic thing just real quick and it's done. Just sure, yeah. <laughs> I think that's called chunking or whatever. Like yeah, yeah, memory that's people will talk about that, like how you group things together into larger uh, groups so you have less total things to remember or whatever. Um, but yeah, no, the, the language thing is really interesting. So yeah, they were saying that maybe, you know, the aphasia is that you aren't inhibiting the native language. Um, but in general the these aphasias there's like different ones or whatever and aphasia just i think means that you're having difficulty processing or executing language uh like speaking and whatnot and there's different ones and they have different effects i think we talked about on another episode but uh, there's a whole book on this particular oh yeah so it's really weird and different brain regions being affected causes different things to happen to you um and, Bas- yeah, yeah, there's lots of aphasia, but they're basically just a, a language impairment. If you have some kind mm-hmm. of problem with speech, and they get very interesting because there's like Broca's aphasia, Wernicke's aphasia, and they all are very different. And when you line them all up side by side, you're like, how are these things even possible? Because you can lose, you can lose whole categories of capabilities and it be and all you've lost is that one thing and nothing else. So like you can lose the ability to comprehend language, but maintain the ability to produce it. Like they've narrowed certain things down to like these super tiny, tiny little, very particular, almost like pixelated regions of the brain that are responsible oh, wow. for very specific things. At least that's what they think. Brain imaging isn't as advanced as people make it out to be, but at the same time, it is. But they can't, they're not really seeing perfect images of what's going sure. on. They're, it's like very roundabout, but then they have those open brain experiments, which they can't actually do them most of the time. You have except to, except on you, you have to have a reason exactly, except for in that class. We're right. all brain damaged. No, you actually have, a, have to have a reason to have your brain opened up first. So, like, you right, need right, right. your skull cut open, and then someone will come to you. Like, literally, people will like fly across the world and be like, Can we please probe your brain while your skull is open? And if you say yes, then you get to like contribute to science. I don't know if people get paid for Then the stuff, scientists but... pop champagne and they're like, Woo, like, we're going to cut We're going to publish. Let's make sure we find no. something, fellas. <laughs> Yeah, the memory thing, though, that's another interesting avenue we could talk about here that's really interesting to me um, because, yeah, like, what's going on? So these people, they it's almost like they can't remember how to speak English. Like, that's one way to interpret what's going on. And maybe there's even some memory going on. Like, they don't remember being able to speak English or whatever uh, at the time of the aphasia. And... That's interesting because partly you could think about memory as a re-embodiment of a prior state. So they've studied this and sort of what happens when you remember, they've done brain imaging. And what you do in your brain, or at least what happens, is that the brain sort of tries to re-manifest the mechanics or the like brain 
wiring and the lighting up of the brain that was present at the time of the memory that you're trying to recall. Wait, say that again. So, yeah, when you like try to remember something, essentially your brain, whatever the activity was going on in your brain at the time of that event, when you remember it, your brain tries to do that same activity. Like it tries to get the wiring and light up in the same way. Um, and so people, I think they study this by looking at like uh, like when you're trying to talk or something or uh, but you're not actually talking like you're just mimicking words or something. It looks like when you're actually talking. Um, and so but to me, it's like a very intuitive theory that like. You would in order to remember something like you sort of like put your body, at least your brain into the same state it was when the thing happened. And that gives you like the phenomenon or the phenomena, the phenomenological experience of what it was like when it happened, which is like the memory. But mechanically what's going on is like literally just you're trying to reproduce the mechanics of what happened at the time. It would be like if you got like a room and you wanted to be like, I want to remember what it was like on my sixth birthday. And then you put the room in the exact arrangement it was on your sixth birthday you know, it would feel like it would evoke, I think, the experience of what it was like on your sixth birthday. And so that's kind of what's going on on the inside, maybe, too, which I, I just think that's a really interesting theory. And so it makes sense that if you had some, you know, impairment to brain functioning and whatnot, that 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 memory would be impaired and whatnot. Yeah, that's interesting. It goes to show, I mean, you got to keep in mind, like, as little as and as much as we do know about language it probably right. is, is similar with memory like we don't really fully understand memory yeah that's just either. kind of one theory because we know how problematic our memories are and there's also the like super well-known phenomenon is like all that's well that ends well you know all's well that ends well is like like if your vacation ends in a big fight versus ends well you might look back on that vacation and be like oh that was the worst just because like recency bias like the last event yeah yeah so which totally affects your memory and your re recall of certain things yeah no that's another thing that's interesting like too the people have really bad memories like i think like there's like interesting studies on happiness and whatnot where the people like don't enjoy things in the moment but then look back on them fondly and so that like really puts a wrench in like happiness studies because you're like was it a good thing if the person didn't enjoy it in the moment but looked back on it and was happy about it? It's like, oh, my God, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> another another interesting fact about aphasias, so up to they say up to a quarter to half of people who have a stroke end up with an aphasia of some kind, which is so like that's, that's like a lot. Wow. It's a lot. I mean, so I think they said it was like. uh Let's see, aphasia, the Aphasia Association estimates that 25 to 40% of strokes of virus develop aphasia. It also estimates that there are roughly 1 million persons, people, come on, in the United States with aphasia. You have to make it sound sophisticated. By saying persons, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the There's United roughly States 1 with million aphasia, people. And that roughly 100,000 new cases occur every year. Oh, wow. Okay. So, and it's, that's in the U.S., so the worldwide, we're talking like be even millions more. and millions and millions of people who develop this. And if you don't have an understanding of some of this stuff, consequences could be dire because 
there's types of aphasia that look like you're fully retarded, like that look like there's nothing going on anymore. Oh. You're and so I can just imagine a country yeah. or a place that doesn't have a developed understanding of language like this, because our developed understanding is super complex. And I'll read you this little thing from here that'll show you like how it all works. But it's like oh. you could very easily just cast somebody aside as like an invalid just sure, because yeah. they're having a problem with a symptoms symptom. look like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I want to come back to that. But yeah, but go ahead. Well, I I don't know if I should say it yet because this is it sounds very it's one of those like little things that sounds very wordy. But if you're familiar with any psychology textbook or any linguistics textbook or anything that has to do with the brain, they love to do box and arrow charts. Have you, you, this is a this is a thing that just people look cr- up criticize. a psychology term and then you'll see like a box and arrow like this affects this affects that. Yes, literally, this is how everything works. It's just boxes and arrows all in your brain. But there's yeah. there's a here. I'll just show you. You can look this up. It's fu- it's not that interesting. Oh but. my shit! What the hell is that? So it has an M, a B, an A, and then a motor and auditory section. And all of the lines that have arrows and all of the B, M, and A can anywhere on that whole chart, they throw a dash. And anywhere you can have a, you, that dash means like a problem, like an interruption. So you can interrupt this thing. You can interrupt that thing. You can interrupt this pathway. You can interrupt this particular mm. facet of language. And each of those leads to all these different types of aphasias. So, wait, sorry, this, what's the B? So we've got motor and so then activity and then a B for standing it's for called, what? Yeah, it's called the Wernicke Lichheim Geschwalt House <laughs> model of the neural very architecture German. of language. Yeah, very. They're like, it's very complicated. <laughs> that was a German uh, Scottish guy. Uh, so the center of speech planning and production, which is the Broca's area, is represented by. M, the center that stores information about word sounds is Wernicke's area, which is the A. Oh, I was just wrong about all the letters. Wow, okay. they, They're not intuitive. <laughs> the center that contains meanings of words is represented by the B, and the arrows indicate the direction that the information flows. So lesion sites are represented by the line segment. So if you like were to chop any of those particular things, you could predict exactly the type of aphasia that the person would have. Oh, okay. So if two of these things stop communicating... Yeah, which is why the model works, you know, because you can, like, draw... It's, it looks like a house. That's why it's called the house model. You just look up the house model of language, and it'll show you... Or the house model of aphasia. And basically, you could, like, have a test or something where they show you this, and then they go, I'm going to give this lesion and this lesion what kind of aphasia. Like, what will the speech look like? What will the what will everything look like if I do this? And it's pretty oh, okay. pretty predictable. According so to this that's model... Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, that's a good measure of how good a model it is. Like, it's it predicts things well. Yeah, so there's something good about it, yeah. Yeah, th- that's why box and arrow charts are highly criticized, but still chocked full in every textbook. Because it's like, they work, but they're also clearly oversimplifications. Sure, yeah. Here's a few types of aphasia. Broca's aphasia results from damage to the motor center. That subserves spoken language production. Wernicke's aphasia results from damage to the auditory center that stores the sound images of words. Uh, Conduction aphasia aphasia results from an interruption of the pathway that projects from the auditory center to the motor center. Transcortical motor aphasia results from an interruption of the pathway that projects from the concept center, B, 
to the motor center. Transcortical sensory aphasia results from an interruption from the pathway that projects from the auditory center to the concept center. And then you can have mixed transcortical aphasia, which results from an interruption of both pathways connecting to the auditory and motor center. So now you're talking about someone who looks really bad off. Okay, so this is all very mechanical. Do they have like symptoms? Like what's the... Yes, they do. So And then there's fi- the final one is global aphasia, which is obviously full-blown... Nothing's it's communicating. Damage, that's pretty much damage to the whole language system where you oh. would look like, which when you see people like that, literally you should, you can look up some of the, I think the interesting one that kind of is like a little bit mind blowing is if you look up, like on YouTube, just look up Wernicke's aphasia, which is W-E-R-N-I-C-K-E. If you look up Wernicke's, Wernicke's or Wernicke's aphasia, you'll get these With a videos. W. Yeah, it's German. So you get these videos of people with that aphasia having conversations, and it sounds wild. You and me. So it's a when, place you and Amy yeah. went. I mean, literally, literally that a, there's one. What happened at that place? Give us what, more clues. What did we do there? So you were kids, and what else? What did we do there? When, be, before the kids. Probably without our little kids. So that's how many years. We, pro- we probably younger went on planes and lights. And, and the food, do? the food is the, there's a, there's a, it's, it's a, it's like a. It's, it's, it's a like kind a, of food? Yes. Yeah, it's a Tyson place. So it's all about food. It's all about food. If you, actually, if you in a zoo, was it called that? Clofen Jovitz? Bahamas? Atlantis. Was it, it Leffen Helms? So it, here's Atlantis right there. Was it called something? They bail it. Yeah, bellied. Bahamas. Yeah. Right, right. Look right here. Atlantis. What are we trying to get to? Or is this? It was. It is. Is it a town? Is a place within some place, and and we ate there. Okay. Okay. Back and it was when we good. were theirs. And. It had a type. It was a certain type of food. Yes, it was, it was a base of, of like a, a school. Yes. Like Caribbean food. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Where are we? So you want Amy to remember a place you guys went before you had your kids that had good Caribbean food? <laughs> oh yeah. This is we all for that. Okay, there's. Well, how about? Husband. I'll tell you what. How about Jim? Listen. Yes. Jim. How about we come back to it? Because sometimes when you leave stuff for a few minutes, it'll pop in. And sometimes they like literally make up words that sound that follow grammatical like phonological rules. So like a phonological rule is like often a vowel follows a consonant. So like you can't you wouldn't say like like tsunami is not an English word because we don't do t s because that's two consonants. We would do like just a s two we would probably say like tsunami or something put a u between those so or mm. tsunami or something so we could have a sound there so, but they'll so they'll make up words that follow those kinds of rules but they're not actual words which is also mm. very interesting because you'd think well there's infinity words well there's a million words that follow your language grammatical phonological structure that aren't made up yet and not invented yet which i always thought was like kind of cool because there's so many words yet there's so many possible words as well that literally follow your language rules um but anyways you can comment and i'll look for the actual 
like what happens when you have a type of page like what kind of things yeah. you can end up with no that's super interesting maybe we can put a clip i don't know if we'll yeah be able i'll to find that, one i ha i know of i know a particular clip of someone who was famous for having wernicke's aphasia okay but uh i was gonna say it reminded me this like not being able to tell what's going on and if you didn't understand language and what was happening that you might just think this person is gone or they're in a vegetative state or their consciousness is turned off or something it reminded me so i read this book uh, about consciousness called being you by anil seth and he goes through uh, a lot of the literature um, and sort of cutting edge theories about what consciousness is and how we could measure it maybe and that was one of the most interesting things from the book, I thought, was so they came up with this test to sort of measure consciousness. And it's very rudimentary. But essentially what they did, I think, is they kind of poke the brain, like prick it or stimulate it somehow. And then they measure, it's sort of like dropping a, a stone in water and then you would measure the complexity of the ripples. And so if the ripples are highly complex, that means that there's more consciousness essentially, and lower complexity would mean less consciousness. That's very rudimentary understanding of this process, but they do it actually, it's kind of interesting if you understand uh, audio. So there's something called lossless compression and they actually use the same algorithm as lossless compression to do this test, which is just really interesting. So basically you take the complexity and you try to identify the minimum number of patterns that could help you recreate all the complexity, but would at the same time reduce the amount of information that needs to be stored. Um, anyway, so they do this test and basically what it allowed them to do, and they talk about this actually very famous like case of this where someone had been injured or impaired or whatnot, and they thought the person had gone into a vegetative state and that the person was going to be, like, put down or something. I think they were going to be euthanized or, like, they were, you know, the family was kind of deciding, you know, like, do we pull the plug, do we whatnot? And they did this test on the person, and they realized that the person was still, like, fully awake. They just couldn't communicate. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, they probably had that, a, global, like, a global aphasia. Maybe full, yeah. A full melt, a full breakdown of all, of a few because all you have to do is like one or two cutoffs on pathways, on that pathway in that house, and you've kind of lost everything. Yeah, right. And so yeah, they ended up saving that person's life because of this. But it was only because, yeah, we understood like, oh, this might you know be going on, and we could test this, and that would tell us some information. And, uh, yeah, if we didn't know any of that, that person might have just died. It was really crazy. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier about how it comes off. So here's one example, the common Broca's aphasia. So the founding father of aphasiology is Paul Broca. In 1861, he examined a 51-year-old man named Le Bourg, I guess he was French who had numerous medical problems and had been virtually incapable of speech for many years, he was only able to produce a single syllable, tan, T-A-N, which, which he usually uttered twice in succession, regardless of the context. He could, however... Tan, tan. Yes, tan, literally. Tan. Oh, my God. Uh, he could vary the intention of the sound, he could... Uh, intonation of the sound, and he often combined it with expressive gestures, meaning... He seemed like he was, he thought, like I'm waving saying his something. hands. Yeah, and... like, oh, tan tan, tan tan, tan tan. Like he's, he thinks mm -hmm. he's speaking. 
Moreover, moreover, Broca believed that he had uh, well-preserved language comprehension. A few months later, Broca encountered another patient, uh, Lelon, who manifested production impairment much like Leborn's, who was able to utter five words instead of just one. Oui, non, trois, which was a mispronunciation of three, and toujours, always. Um, so he found that both patients had lesions on the surface of the left hemisphere, so the same lesion, basically, in their brain. Mm, same area. Yes. So in that, in Broca's aphasia, you have, like, production, comprehension, and repetition. So they have non-fluent production, strong reliance on a very few things they can kind of, like, remember almost. Like, they can do, like, ton or these four or five words. They have worse – the worst is their verbs and nouns. So no matter what stage, it seems that verbs and nouns odd because that means verbs and nouns have – like like the implications are interesting. It's like – so verbs and nouns suffer more, so they maybe have a particular place in the brain. Like what people don't know. Like are, is there like a literally a verbs and nouns portion of the brain? Like what's going on there? Mm-hmm. Or maybe a stronger relationship and less strong yeah. to other things in language. Like prepositions are maybe just easier. They're shorter words or, you mm. know, they do a different function. Um, so they have a big impairment on closed class elements like determiners, auxiliary verbs, prepositions, suffixes. And so comprehension, they have basically preserved understanding. They completely understand language. They just can't do it. Um, but they have some comprehension problems of complex grammatical structures. Um, anyways, so that's Broca's aphasia. Wait, and that one, mechanically, what is that one? Like, what's going on? The comprehension, you said? Well, so what's the, like, before you told us the mechanics? So they have relatively preserved understanding of colloquial conversation, poor comprehensions of some types of syntactically complex grammatical constructions, and as far as repetition, it's disrupted, especially for multi-word sentences. So you can't even say a sentence to them and have them repeat it back to you. Oh, okay. But I mean, like, in the box and arrow, the house thing. Like, what two oh. areas are disconnected? Broca's aphasia is damage to the motor center. Oh, okay. Which is why you would have pretty good comprehension still. But there's also, there's this weird thing. Like, the language is so weird. Because there's, they have they can measure like micro mouth movements, so sometimes I'd have to look this up again. But like sometimes when you're thinking of words or or whatnot, so you're like thinking of language, you will there's a production element that goes along with it. So like your mouth will like literally make like micro movements that's possibly helping the language as a whole, and you're not. And I've actually seen this. I had a friend that used to say things. He would literally do this. He'd be like, yeah, man, let's go play basketball. And his mouth would keep moving a few seconds after he's talked. He would like literally, and you could tell he was like kind of repeating what he just said, but like just like mumbled, like <clears throat> just his mouth would move. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of like little complex things for like why it's just the motor thing that's messed up. But why would the motor thing not really impair comprehension, but impair it a little bit in certain sense situations? And it might be because the, there's something with that connection. 
Well, that's what I was saying a second ago with memory. It's like you have to sort of embody it. Right. Like, you have to, it literally, yes, literally. You yeah. To, you get into a state almost. And that's what they were saying, too, in those studies. Yeah, just to add some more complexity there. It's like, too, when you try to remember something or, like, the feeling of something, you actually kind of act it out a little bit. Like, you kind of engage in micro-movements, and that helps you get back into that brain state and physical state, which is kind of interesting. So there, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, kind of and actually, there's a word for it. It's called apraxia of speech. When disturbances occur at a relatively high level of articular, articulatory planning and coordination, patients manifest a disorder called apraxia. For example, they may be able to produce the syllables pa, ta, and ka separately, but can't combine them into a complex trisyllabic word or pseudo-word like pataka. They can not They can do each one, but they can't do the whole thing when their motor mm. stuff is messed up, which may be, it says that the speech production may be compromised at a relatively lower level of sending motor commands to the muscles of the vocal apparatus, which can also arise another condition called dis dysarthia, which is characterized by disruptions of the speech, strength, range, and timing. So like speech production and language, which we all just acquire as a child with zero learning, like zero conceptual learning. Is, I mean, we get the concept of words, but as far as like rules of speech, we might not be able to repeat them, but we get them very naturally. And mm -hmm, then yet mm -hmm. the complexity of what's actually going on is could fill tomes of you know of just like yeah, book after yeah. book after book of very specific tiny little things that can happen and they're so nuanced and complicated yeah well that's kind of what i want to talk about um too is like the consciousness element of it it's like kind of what you were saying at the beginning is you know we do language but we don't necessarily understand how we're doing it. Like it's not conscious to us, even though we can do it, like it's not in our awareness how we're doing it. Um, and that's an interesting thing. So I think that's kind of, you know, what Jung and Freud talked about is like, there's lots of things like this actually that you do that you're not fully conscious of why you're doing it, how you're doing it, et cetera. And that is interesting. Because on some level, you do know it. Like, you know how to speak the language. Like, we would say that this person knows English, but they can't tell you, like, like someone who's teaching English or someone who learns English as a second language might actually understand it and could teach it better than someone who speaks it natively. Um, and so that's very weird. And then the other thing I was thinking, too, is, um, so, like, being more or less conscious of something it's almost like the things that you know the deepest and the most are actually the things that you're the least conscious of. They're like the instinctual things, like, and yeah. whatnot. We talked about this with, um, what was that guy? Uh, super famous evolutionary guy. Oh, David Buss? No, no, no. The original guy. Darwin? Darwin. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's a, that's a memory problem. <laughs> yeah. So, but that he had done this thing where he's like, hey, I forget a lot of stuff that doesn't fit my worldview. So I need to start writing those things down. And he had like a whole journal of stuff that didn't work with his theory that so because he was like, I keep almost purposefully forgetting things that disprove Like he had a theory. bias. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, it is interesting because it's a lot of the things you believe, you're not conscious of the reasons you believe them. Like they're actually subconscious or unconscious. And... And then you might say those are the things you actually know the most or the deepest because they're the most automatic. Like you don't even have to think about them. That's how deeply you know them. 
the other thing I wanted to say too is like uh, about intuition. So there's a this is like what gets me frustrated a little bit because there's a lot of behavioral economics research that will point out lapses in intuition. So where your intuitions lead you astray. And I think people interpret that like in popular science or popularly or normatively to mean that your intuition is not a good tool for making decisions and you really should be more rational, meaning like you're thinking highly consciously about something. But they are pointing out the exceptions, not the rule. And I think that people lose that is that most of the time your intuitions are used and most of the time they're correct. And they are pointing out these fringe cases where there are some fringe cases where, you know, your intuitions lead you astray. Um, but it could also be like these things could also be because we're not capturing the full nuance or complexity of the experiment in our analysis. Like we could be saying that, you know, your intuitions lead you astray when thinking about these particular outcomes or whatever. If those are the things you want to maximize then your intuitions lead you astray. But maybe what's going on is that we're not actually accurately measuring what your intuitions are maximizing for or whatnot. So that's one problem I have with all this. But anyway, I wanted to say all of this because I think there's like this debate over intuition versus rationality. And I think your intuitions are highly, highly complicated models of the world and nuanced, and you're not conscious of them. You can totally try that. Yeah, you can try to become conscious of them. And I think that that's what rational thought is. Like highly sophisticated rational thought is like intuitions made I think conscious. rationality follows literally like actual logic, like philosophical logic, like symbolic logic, like mathematical logic. Right. But I think those, yeah, those are just the best approximations, I think, of our intuition, like our intuition systems and models that are baked into our just regular processing of the world and whatnot. Um, yeah. Well, a lot of them are based on the start with the phrase or the word if. Right, you know, right. If this, then it's like, well, figure out the if. Is the if is or isn't it? You could say if, but can you actually know if? Like you can know that if, but if you don't know that it is or isn't, then the statement and conclusion fall apart. Mm. Yeah, like a that's a syllogism. If then, but the the if the like uh, presupposition maybe. If X, it's then Y, X, therefore Y. But then you have to figure out X or not X. Right. How do you know exactly? It's almost like just know. a belief. Yeah. 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 It's like it. It start. It, it's hard to get away from the non-know, the un, like the not knowing. Yeah. Right. And that's what I was gonna say. I think that's the weirdest implication to me of that. So if you take what I said to be true, like your intuitions are actually in practice, more often correct than rational-minded thinking, like very conscious thinking about a problem. And they are not in your conscious awareness. Like you can't call up all the reasons why you made a decision or why this was the right choice or what's good about this thing. Yeah. Um, it's like, have you ever had a thought and you're like, oh, that's a really good, like, I, I got to write that down. And then you write it down and you're like, that doesn't have all the components I need for this to actually be read <laughs> by somebody and actually sound like it contains all of the intensity that it felt like when I had the thought. Mm. And then you realize that 
I'm not even sure if I can write down what gave me the sensation and the intuition that this is true because it would because you didn't use it to get there or so, at least, something else yeah. happened in your mind to get you to that thought and it like is a powerful thought but you're like how do I even express that I can't right well yeah maybe just the meaning too like whether or not it's true there's something meaningful about it that you can't quite capture yeah I was gonna say the implication though is interesting being like what do you know um and what is knowledge if you're not aware of it like I think we in our pop science and the way we think about knowledge today is like the things that you're aware of like you can think of consciously but then you're like wait a minute most of the things that you're doing are actually unconscious and more often than not your intuitions are better than rationalistic judgments meaning like maybe knowledge is not the stuff that you're thinking like knowledge is something below the thinking level well yeah there's that concept that you don't that your brain isn't actually like if evolution is true for example even even if evolution is true which is like a very mechanical obvious it's easy to understand how evolution works it's so many times of this podcast so (laughs) even if that's true your brain it's not it's by no means obvious that your brain in fact it's almost the opposite of this that your brain would interpret reality as it is so it's like there's that phenomenon of a car you're going to turn across the lane and a car's coming your mind will actually understand that car as moving faster than it really is because of the situation that you're in. So it's safer to see the car mm. moving more quickly because an error would be fatal. Right, right, yeah. Isn't there too, there's like research that a psychologist, I think maybe at UGA did, where like if you, in order to perceive a sign as half as large as another sign, the difference it's is not guy, actually yeah. half. I, I had that professor. Oh, yeah. okay. I think it was him. At least he's the one that told me about it, and he's very pretty well known at that college. I because I went there, and he was he was one of my favorite professors. He was very intelligent and published a lot of stuff. And yeah, yeah. it was like it was like meaning just like your perception doesn't map onto actual right. they reality. Could, right. They could take an object, change the size of it, and they can actually change it, change it, change it, and at some point you'll recognize the change, but prior to that you won't. Yeah, I think like that's called the just noticeable difference or whatever yes, in psychology. Difference. Yeah, yeah, like the differences you can notice. And that's back to the heuristics thing. Like so often the way you're perceiving the world, like the words, you know, we said like you could change up a bunch of the letters in between or whatever. And it's like you're not actually perceiving and cog- like being cognizant of each letter in the way that we might think like you are rationally, like you're reading each letter in the order that they're in. And like, right. then you but associate that with the yeah. word, but you're not. And it's it would like, take you forever to read <laughs> if it were happening like that. Like you could not read. It would be so tedious. Or maybe you are, but it's like, it's not happening on a conscious level. Like you're not, well, when you're reading and you come across, yeah. you're like reading, 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 and you come across a big word that you haven't seen before you stop in your tracks and you have sounded out. And you do that a couple times until yeah. you've got the word, and now you no longer have to do that, so you're not stopped in your tracks anymore. Right. That's what I think kind of is going on. I think like your cognitive, like conscious processing is helping you build the models in your what they would call the proximal zone of development, like right on the edge of what you can understand and what you've experienced before. And so whenever you encounter something new that's within your 
ability to understand. I think you have to think about it cognitively. And then in doing that, I think you build the model. And then once you do it enough, like, you know, or encounter it, maybe it's repeated situation or behavior. I think that then becomes like internalized and unconscious. And I think yeah, that that's was how like, language is. That's how language is learned. Right. They that was a Piaget's model, too, of like uh, childhood development or whatever. Yeah, um, you're like always assimilation, right. integration. Yeah. When you teach a child to, which is also crazy because people do it unconsciously. No one, most people don't talk to a baby like they talk into, like they're talking to a lawyer. Right, right, but, because their but, zone of proximal development is different. Right. But you're always, but they have discovered that the mother or father is always speaking to the child, like basically a step outside of their right. range. And that you, and which is totally unconscious, which is the crazy part of it, is that you're doing it without even knowing hardly that you're doing it, but you're always pulling on them just a little by talking to them just outside their realm of communication so that they will come up to that. And then eventually they do, and that keeps going until eventually there's nothing left. The language is acquired, essentially, right. to, to, the, to the extent that they're fluent. Yeah. Whether or not they have a vocabulary like Sam Harris is another question, but. <laughs> no, it's super, super interesting. And yeah, I just think it has interesting implications if you just kind of meditate or think about that. You, I think it takes you to a lot of different areas that, yeah, at least for me, like it makes me wonder about the way we make decisions. Like one real practical application that I've thought about this in is business. And like people get, I've worked with a lot of people who have MBAs and I think getting an MBA is very popular. And when you get an MBA, you learn a lot of how to make business decisions. Like you learn basically like frameworks. Like these are the things you should consider when making these business decisions. And maximizing profit is always, you know, increasing revenue or decreasing costs. And you know, you learn all these accounting things and whatever. So there's all these frameworks that you apply to business problems that have a set of presupposed inputs that you need to determine and measure and then outputs that you're maximizing for or minimizing. And that's all very conscious, very rational. However, I see it get used and I see how we come to very undesirable, not good decisions and outcomes. And then you think, what's going on? We're being very rational. Like we're we're being very rigorous in some sense about the decisions we're making. We're incorporating a lot of information. We're thinking a lot about it. But then the outcomes are bad. Like we may raise the price of our product when we've in done nothing new or better. And you're like, well, that's a shitty decision. Like, why did we do that? You know, but then you're like, but smart people applied rationalistic thinking to it and arrived at that conclusion. And I think but there's somebody something may have an intuition. So that's exactly. rational thought. Yep. But somebody may have an intuition to do something different and they which actually works better and the reason that it works better is actually isn't in the model. Yep. But but it is, it could be because it's probably it must because it worked better, it probably follows more logic, but it's logic that wasn't accounted for by oh, someone sure. who's yeah, yeah. trying to consciously account for it. Whereas, right, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, so someone that, might say, I'll just raise the price. The other guy says, I think if I just keep it lower, you know, then I'll probably sell more, you know what I mean? And that has been incorporated into economic models, but on a basis-to-basis -basis situation, the intuitive guy may end up better off. In that right, case. because I think, yeah, what happens is like people following the rules or, you know, frameworks, rationalistic thinking will say, oh, we can just disregard everything else or 
we're trying to reduce the complexity to something manageable. But then you think, my thought is always like, your intuition is already doing that. Like your intuition is already sort of managing the complexity of the situation and leading you toward the outcome that's best. And sometimes you can be wrong, but that is very fringe. Like most of the time you're right because otherwise we'd all be dead. You know, all of our instincts would have killed us by now if they were wrong all the time. So right. most of the time they're right and you can follow them. And I think that that's frustrating to me, especially like in business is one practical example is like people following, not following their intuitions and telling you intuition, intuitionistic thinking is bad and to disregard those things and calling it bias and like all these weird things. And you're like, no, like your intuitions are more complicated than you could even understand. And if you disregard all those things that you can't or you're not conscious of, you actually risk making grave errors. Um, yeah, so, look at yeah. some of the most rational people like Sam Harris. It can be very impressive to be a highly rational person with a mm. high intelligence quotient, <laughs> but it can also lead you, as many people now recognize, he's possibly off his rocker currently. And it may very well be that he does not it's weird though because I some I wonder for like Sam Harris is it that he's disregarding his intuition that's making him sound like a fool, or has his intuition been inculcated or like formulated through mm. his rationality, and now his intuition is to disregard anything that isn't his own thoughts or something. you know what i mean like there's that something isn't conscious yeah yeah like i, I wonder how pathological or can't be made conscious get. yeah kind of like what you were saying like some things don't enter you know speech or whatever even though you can like sense their they have meaning or whatever like your thoughts don't enter words i think there's something like that for him going on maybe where it's like if it doesn't enter words he sort of dismisses it as not real yeah or if you can't make as fancy of a sentence with your thought as he can with his thought then your thought isn't right right and I also heard this recently on like some meme meme thing on the internet or whatever. Some guy said, "How come when people are fighting, they yell when they're right there next to each other, when they disagree, but when they're being intimate, mm. they talk very quietly to each other. Sometimes not at all, and you can just go on like the expression of the face." And this is like one of those intuitive things that probably some oh, yeah. guy came up with where That's he says, good. oh, well, it's because the heart, their hearts are so far apart. And when their hearts are close or something like that was the conclusion, you know, sure. when your hearts That's are close poetic. together. Yeah, it's right. And it's like, but when you say it, you go, of course. Well, what what else could it be? Why else would you yell? Because you feel like they're not hearing you. Why, why do you feel like they're not hearing right. you? They're clearly hearing you. You're yelling in their face and it's right. not helpful at all. It never works out. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so what are you doing? And both of those may be an intuition. Maybe the intuition is to yell, but maybe well, there's another kind of intuition that's, that explains why you are yelling. And then this is kind of the thing that I was talking about recently where it's like, I believe that nature, like what the reality that we live in should inform our science, should inform our logic, should inform our understandings mm -hmm. because you see the thing happening you go, this doesn't make any sense. Why would, am I, why would someone yell when they're so close and there's no one around? Well, 
that because there's no logic there naturally, it's not because they can't hear you. They can hear you. It's not because it works out usually really well when you scream at somebody. They usually get your point. None of that's true. So what must be happening? Something else must be happening. Well, something, something unconscious, yeah. Something, something, yeah, not there, but that's, that is there, and it's like in reality, in nature itself, and could it be that the hearts are far apart? You know, who knows what it is? Yeah, we're not aware of it. That's all I mean. It's like there's something going on, and I think like the part that we're aware of, like the yelling, it's like it's almost like escalating. You're like trying to, it's like a... Uh, maybe Jung and Freud would call it like an unconscious urge. Like the the conscious is like willing itself over the unconscious and it's like coming to a fevering pitch like in a in its fight against the unconscious and the intuition. And so that's why your voice starts to raise. It's like, you know, there's a conflict, not with you and the other person, but within the self, like between yeah. your conscious and your unconscious. And your intuitions tell you you just need over. to listen. Yeah. But here's, yeah. I was going to read you some interesting things real quick, because I also have another thing I wanted to mention, a conspiracy theory that's true. Um, here's an example of Broca's aphasia. They have like actual okay. verb verbiage here of what it sounds like. So there's a picture that was used. They show like, it's just a picture of a mother in a kitchen and two kids, and they're stealing the cookies. And they're like, what's happening here? And it's pretty, it's a fine picture. It's very obvious what's happening. So they understand cookies are being stolen. But... This is what Broca's aphasia people would say. Kid, c -c -c can, candy, c -c cookie, cookie, candy. Well, I don't know what, but it's writ. Uh, easy does it. Slam. Fall. Men. Many. No. Girl. Dishes. Soap. Soap. Water. Water. Falling. Pa. That's all. Dish. That's all. Cookies. Can candy? Cookies. Cookies. He down that's all girls God, slipping on does water. It go? <laughs> this is the person's explanation of the of that uh, just continues like that oh my god how long is it is that were we like close no to... it, it, it almost gets coherent it down that's all girl slipping water water and it hurts much to do her <laughs> clean up dishes up there i think that's doing it the examiner asked what is she doing with the dishes discharge no I forgot. Dirty clothes. Dish. No, water. The examiner probes, what about it? Slippery water. Scolded. Slipped. That's the explanation. <laughs> and it does make you laugh. In fact, when we watch these in class, people chuckle. But... Oh, no, God. so that's the Broca's aphasia speech production. Yeah, it's there's, crazy. It's really wild. So they're clearly looking, and there's... It's all relevant. There's cookies. There's water. She's washing dishes. They look like they could fall and slip. The kids are on the counter. You know what I mean? There's lots of obvious comprehension, but no ability to get it out. Mm -hmm. uh, Wernicke's aphasia is the weird one because it's it has... I mean, this one I could watch all day because it, it is just like, what is happening? I couldn't even do it if I were trying to. And it's because... The production is, quote-unquote, excessively fluent, uh, but has frequent phonemic, which is like the sounds of words, uh, paraphasias, which may be so severe as to constitute neologistic jargon. 
morphological and syntactical substitution errors occur, patients are often unaware of the deficits. And you can tell they have no idea. If you watch a Wernicke's aphasia patient, they have no clue that they're not saying anything. This is fluent aphasia, a type of aphasia language disorder with stroke, poor comprehension of speech is effortless, but meaning is impaired. Hi, Byron. How are you? I'm happy. Are you pretty? You look good. What are you doing today? We stayed with the water over here at the moment and talked with the people for them over there. They're diving for them at the moment. They'll save in the moment. He'll have water for soon for him. With luck for him. So we're on a cruise and we're about to get we to We will sort right here and they'll save their hands right there for and, them. And what were we just doing with the iPad? Uh, right at the moment, they don't show a darn thing. <laughs> <laughs> the iPad that we were doing. We, from, like, here? I'd like my change for me and change hands for me. It would happen. I would talk with Donna sometimes. We're out with them. Other people are working with them with them. I'm very happy with them. Good. This girl was very good and happy. Very, very good. And hit other trees. We play out with the hands. We save a lot of hands on hold for people's, for us, other hands. I don't know what you get, but I talk with a lot of hand for him. Talk with so, a lot of hand for him. Here, I'll show you the guy so you can see how obvious it is that he thinks he's talking. Hi, Byron. How are you? I'm happy. Are you free? Oh, interesting. Weird. So that's oh Bernicke's aphasia. He's like, Looking around, he he's like pointing, he's talking, he's totally moving his unaware hands, that to- he's making up words, doesn't even know. He's not making sense. And you can tell that he's there's <gasps> wow. also a, a degree of un- not understanding because he's like the iPad, and but he's ready to produce language about it, but he's not talking about the iPad. I play golf, I play golf, I love when I play golf, I'm happy. I kind of think, like, so that, that it, what's interesting to me is when I, I play golf, I'm, I'm happy. I feel like that's very true you know what i mean so it came out (laughs) right it's not what we're talking about but it's a true thing that i can say easily you know Mm. yeah um well that's something that young said too there's like a quote in a book that i was reading by him uh where he says something like do we ever know what our thoughts mean and he was like, I don't know. He was like, what we can say is whether or not our what we're saying is true. And he's like, but that doesn't know mean that we know what they mean. And so there's something, yeah, about that to me where it's like sometimes, and that's what like a Freudian slip is, like something comes, bubbles up right through the unconscious that you're trying to inhibit from saying or that you didn't expect to say. And it's yeah. just really, really true. You're trying not to say something, you know. Like, yeah. like, uh, what was that? Uh, remember Osmosis Jones, where the guy what? she has no. like a zit or something, and he goes, "Okay, don't don't talk about the zit or whatever." And he goes, "You're trying to say what is it?" And he goes, "What is zit?" I mean, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. like it just comes right out. <laughs> yeah. So there's stuff like that. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's like, and I think too, there's something like relevant today about it in public discourse is like you see how like scripted everything is like i think that's why people don't really like the news and are going more to podcasts and like third you know independent media um and i think it's because there's something disingenuous about the scripted stuff 
and there's something untrue. And what's untrue about it is that it's not coming from your unconscious. Like you're too conscious of what you're saying. Like you've pre-thought it and you've fabricated it. And there, yeah, it that lacks guy obviously truth. is writing Biden's speeches. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a guy with the aphasia. Yeah, he sounds like that's about. Oh my god, uh, got hairy legs. You've got that on one end. On the other end, I think that's like, you know, for all Trump's faults and whatnot, that is like maybe one of his virtues is that he clearly is not pre-thinking about what he says. And I think that... I think he does a little bit. It, but maybe he lets it a just little come bit. out however it comes out, and yeah. sometimes it sounds wild. But there's something true about it. You're like... There's something it feels about authentic. It. Yeah, it feels authentic. And it may, yeah. some of the stuff he says is definitely not like correct or morally right. But, but. <laughs> I 100% believe that if all these elections are, if any, okay, if Trump got elected duly, sure. then the reason, because there was the phenomenon right when he started running, remember you had like Republicans who were never Trumpers and you had Trump admitting over and over. He it told people over and over again, I used to donate to Hillary Clinton's campaign. I've done it like four or five times. I've mm. tried, you know, I've kept her in office. I don't remember I, that. But, and the, I think that just that kind of dialogue was like, it's comforting to people. They're like, he's a guy, whatever. Like he, yeah, we all say sh crazy shit. Like try to start a podcast and see if you sound like an idiot. You will sound like an idiot. You'll hate like half the stuff that comes out of your mouth. You're like, well, who am I? Like, what am I doing? And oh, I think yeah, that yeah. we know that inherently about ourselves. And, and I think that that's how Trump got elected is yeah. literally just going, mm -hmm. you know what? I have an, in maybe it's an intuition. I have a feeling about this guy. I half the things he says I don't like, but at least he's saying things that I don't like. You know, whereas Biden mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, Biden's some a bad example. But like there. other yeah, there's other candidates who say shit and you're like and even if Trump's lying, it doesn't we I think people even understand that to a certain extent. Like nobody trusts a politician. But mm. you see someone like that yeah. and you're like there's something. I mean, oh, Hillary Clinton talking to black people, talking about how much she, how she keeps hot sauce in her purse, and talks to the South and puts on a redneck accent. It's like, yeah, God, nobody buys this. Yeah. So there is something. Sam Tripoli said that authenticity is the currency of the future of the future. So. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah, speaking I think... of which. Oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. This red robin. I mean, this red robin thing. It is a red robin thing. Uh, speaking of authenticity. Have you heard of what's happening on Postmates? No. Okay, so I watched a video of this YouTuber going to... What they were basically investigating was off-label products and how they're really the same products, just rebranded and charging a different price, which is complicated to understand. Like so white like, labeling or fraud? Like, you go get Honey Nut Cheerios for $4 a box, or you can get Honey O Crisps or something, whatever, that are identical and the same, but they cost different amounts of money. And one is, like, the great value brand, and the other is whoever posts or whoever makes Cheerios. Oh, okay. Well, this is a little confusing just because I could see there being different variants. Like, sometimes Honey 
you know, Nut Cheerios will say, hey, like BJ's or Ingalls or Kroger or whoever, like we are going to label it under whatever your white brand is. Like Kirkland's is the right. Costco brand, but it's a very similar product. I think they tweak it kind of the same. They they uh, can. They do a little tweak. Yes. Sometimes there's sometimes, a different. Yeah. There's just another it, company that's selling a very similar product, like a value version, or maybe it's even the same and it's, yeah. Okay. And the, so, when it is, so when it's identical, I think the theory is, okay, these big corporations, these big retailers are going to sell, are going to do this anyways. So we're going to have to, we might as well manufacture it, whatever. They're going to find someone to make something almost identical. We might as well give them our thing. Oh. For the same price. So that's one theory. Interesting. Now, so on Postmates, this was at the end of the video, and I guess I'll say who it was. It was, I do not watch this podcast, but every now and then I do, because he has a conspiracy one that he'll post. And they're very mundane conspiracies, but they're true, and it's wild. So they went and... But the person, who is it? Oh, I thought I said Shane Dawson. Oh, my God. Okay. I know. So he he used to do like a lot of conspiracy things, and now he has his own thing, but... Every now and then he'll post a conspiracy one, and Kim will watch it, and I'm like, I'm all down for that. Okay. But so they Postmates. go to this. Ho- so they go to this hotel. What is Postmates, by the way? I don't know. I-, I guess it's like people will go pick up food for you. Food delivery service. I thought it's like Uber. Yeah, it's like Uber Eats. So you go, you find a restaurant that participates in Postmates right, on the Postmates right. website. Order the food from their menu, and they'll deliver it to you. Okay, so, he so you went to, to a this, hotel, or they went to a hotel. He, he goes to a hotel, and the reason he had to go to a hotel because he had to go into a close proximity to particular places. So they're at this hotel, and they go to Postmates, and I go, you guys hungry? Let's get some stuff. Because he's kind of like keeping it secret from them. And so they all order. One guy gets something from, I think it's called like Chicken Sammy, or Sammy Chicken, whatever, and it's a, he gets a chicken sandwich. Then they order a chicken sandwich from Red Robin, and then they order a chicken sandwich from another place. And these items show up to the house or to the hotel. And he opens them all up. They are all identical. And they are all from Red Robin. And the bags are white. There's no label. There's no Red Robin moniker on the bag. They're all completely generic bags, completely generic Tupperwares. It is the exact same thing. And the Postmate guy mm. told them, so they also ordered a pizza from some Italian name. And so Shane Dawson is famous. I don't even, he might've got sued. I don't even remember. But he's famous for going to Chuck E, ordering Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Every time you order one, the pizza doesn't fit together. They're from different pizzas. It's not a single pizza cut into pieces. It's like mixed match pieces. The pepperonis are cut in half, but don't match up. I mean, it's weird. And so they order this pizza from this place and it shows up and he opens it and it looks like that. And they're like, wait, what the fuck is this? It's like, is this, this looks like Chuck E. Cheese pizza. Like they all recognize it immediately. And they go, Uh, he goes, conspiracy. So the guy shows up to the house, the Postmates guy, and he goes, there's the weirdest thing. I went to go pick up your pizza and it took me to a Chuck E. Cheese. And when I went in, they said, oh yeah, that's us. Oh, my God. So they're making fake shell restaurants on Postmates and selling the exact same items from the same company and calling them different companies. Yeah, I think this is a thing. I don't know how conspiracy it is, but I think 
I have no, it's heard true. about this. No, I mean, yeah, I know it's true. I just mean, I don't know, like, how... Like, is it, like, Postmates trying to get one over on people or do something shady? I think I what think might be happening is, the yeah, they're, like, saying, hey, we don't offer a chicken sandwich or we don't want to make a chicken sandwich. We'll just sell Red Robin's chicken sandwich on our website. And I don't we'll think just that's go it. there. Oh, because, you don't think that's Red, it? No, because Red Robin sells the chicken sandwich. They ordered one from Red Robin and from Chicken Sammy. But I know, but that's good for Red Robin. Like Red Robin wants to sell more of their chicken sandwiches. Of course, and they, but if you the don't want to, but if you do don't want to give you, who Postmates, the, the company oh. that's selling Red Robin's chicken sandwiches. So you, but Chicken Sammy's isn't a real place, though. Oh, that's not even a real place. No, you can't go to a Chicken Sammy's. It's just Red Robin. So the address on Postmates is the same address as Red Robin. It's literally coming from Red Robin. Well, maybe maybe Red Robin is like white labeling themselves online or something. Yeah, and selling. Yeah, tricking. it's a, it's literally li- like it's a lie. It's the same menus. It's yeah. really crazy. I don't think it's like conspiracy. I think it's uh to me it just sounds like this weird white labeling practice or whatever, which maybe in it of itself is like conspiracy and like lying and shady business practice. It's but, totally shady. Yeah, I might yeah. not want to go to Red Robin for a very that. particular reason or. If I want a chicken sandwich, I go, oh, let's see, what do they have? Oh, Red Robin. Oh, Chicken Sammy's. That must be a little, you know, local company that I can support. Let me support them by getting my chicken sandwich from them instead. And then you get a Red Robin and you're giving your money to a company that you don't, you're not trying to patron. But this is like a thing, like I've noticed it even at like Whole Foods, like they have the Whole Foods hot bar where you can go in and get hot food from Whole Foods. And some of it, Whole Foods doesn't make, like some of it is made by local restaurants and whatnot. Now, Whole Foods will tell you, though, usually on the label, it'll say if you look closely, it'll be like, this is provided by this business or whatever locally. And they do it from local businesses, so it's kind of nice. But there's other versions of that where they're not telling you maybe what it is, but it's actually coming from somewhere else. So that's what it strikes me as. But that's interesting. I thought, You should little... watch the video. It is wild because it's, it's undeniable. The Chuck E. Cheese pizza seems like a different thing, like putting different slices of pizza together. No, that is true, too. Yeah, I know, but you, that's a little different than I'm just saying. Yeah, that seems like yeah, categorically but they made different. A fake, they made a fake pizza company because who's going to order takeout delivery from Chuck E. Cheese? Nobody. Right, right. So we make a fake company called, you know, they, the name of the company, funny, funny enough, is the name of the Italian monster guy, puppet, whatever his name is. That's the name of the pizza company that they've formed, like just made. So you're buying it from like Rugginiano or some whatever the name is. From the Muppets. But it's just Yeah, those like puppet oh my things. God. Like apparently they have names. <laughs> so so instead of Chuck E. Cheese pizza, it's the other puppet's name, pizza, and you think it's not Chuck E. Cheese, but it's coming from Chuck E. Cheese. Oh. And you're gonna get a, a weird ass pizza. So that's I found that to be very interesting and total totally shitty. Like that is total crap. And yeah, I hate it. Later. Later.